Greetings all, you have reached the perilous realms, and I am your host, Paul Lytle. I hope, I think my, I think my voice is holding up okay uh, for the moment. I've been kind of putting off recording this for, for a while. Um, I, I think I, I may have mentioned um, uh, a few weeks ago that, uh, that uh, the family had, had gotten sick, uh, sick briefly. Uh, that had passed, and we, we, we just returned home from a very, very, very lovely vacation. Uh, unfortunately, brought COVID home with us, the entire family. Um, it's been a, kind of a mild case for all of us, which has been, which has been really, really good. But uh, two symptoms for me, and um, one of them is that I am just getting worn out very, very quickly. And the other one is a cough. And so I've been, I've been like trying to hold back the cough, knowing that, you know, if I if I end up frying out my voice, then it's going to be super hard to do these, uh, to, you know, to, to record anything. Um, so I, I've been, I've, I've, I've on one hand been trying to, to delay doing this introduction, um, because I, I knew that I wasn't at full strength. I knew that, you know, like the fatigue was, was coming through a little bit with the voice, but at the same time, um, trying to, to make sure that the, the, the cough didn't get bad enough where I, I would actually lose my voice. But in any case, I am running out of time because I owe you an episode and I owe you, uh, the next section. So worry not. I had the, the audiobook was, has been recorded. And so I, I didn't, I didn't have to like struggle through, uh, a while sick recording that part of it. It's only been, uh, it's only been this little introduction. And so, uh, without further delay, we, we are into the final day of the adventure. And um, the the party now knows the name of their foe, Fortosio, and um, they all come back together after very very smartly splitting the party. They have all come back together uh, up at the uh, at the lake in the on the cliffside. Uh, where Sprocket has been working on fixing the aqueduct uh, up there. And that is where we're going to pick things up. So I hope you do enjoy. Uh, we're getting very close to the end of this one. We, uh, after we've wrapped this one up, we'll have a couple more weeks of, of text. And then we're going to be wrapping this adventure up. Don't worry. Don't worry. We have more, more adventures coming. And so keep, uh, keep your subscription going here and we will continue on with the further audiobooks. I appreciate it. We'll get to it. Seven. I'm having a little trouble keeping the power steady, though, Sprocket was saying as he led the others into the small building on the side of the lake. Probably a faulty wire, so I'm running tests now to get that going at full power. I already checked the turbine and it's okay. Mirella shot Crethen a look and the latter shrugged. As soon as Belsith sent that message, the gnome was saying, the whole system overloaded and it flared up a bit. Flared up? Crethen asked. You know, with fire. Anyway, shouldn't take a minute to get everything straightened out. Mirella nodded and looked over to the lake, taking care to step away from the console as she did. The high sun was causing the ripples to sparkle as they rose and dipped under a soft wind. This would probably be the last day of full sunlight, adding additional pressure to what they needed to accomplish before sundown. Essentially, they needed to kill it, and it didn't seem likely at this point. 
Fortosio had been right. They had missed their best opportunity. She turned back to Crethen. So the vacant houses, but that will take some time. Do we split up? Dangerous. <laughs> what are vampire hunters? Sort of comes with the territory. True enough, but we don't want to take unnecessary risks. The woman sat down beside the banks of the lake and stretched her legs. I'm starting to think the risks are becoming more necessary. Crethen breathed in deeply, and on cue, Mirella looked at his hands, shaking. She knew what that meant. She didn't know what would set it off or how to calm him. Was it the expectations stacking up against them? The hopelessness against the odds? Was it something he just wanted to say but couldn't? Or was it the memories flooding back? Crethen, she said at the same moment, he said, Mirella. <laughs> they both laughed, and the momentary humor lightened the mood considerably. Go ahead, she said. He pointed out her playfully. And then I say, no, you first, and you say, no, you go, because that's what all the comedies do. She laughed again at this, and it was a good feeling, laughing with someone on a sunny day. That was a rare one for them. But then his face went tense, and the shaking of his hands abated suddenly. His brow furrowed, and even though she couldn't see his full expression because of the scarf, she knew he was startled by something, well, something dangerous. She turned, and she saw it also. Out of the water was rising a great creature of magnificent size, the water spilling off its massive forms and buckets, causing it to seem fluid and constantly moving before them. It was a great snake-like thing, its jaws easily enough to swallow any of them whole, its body stretching up and up until it was looming two score feet above them. The water splashed down off its scales, causing a cloud of mist to hover at its base, but still the water was flowing. Heavens, Mirella was saying, the water. But Crethen was already starting to understand. The water was not falling off its scales. The thing was water. It came at them then, its crawl wide and ready to attack with liquid fangs. Crethen leapt forward, catching hold of Mirella and rolling her out of the way as its mouth smacked the ground with a hard thump, leaving an indentation where it had hit. It might be water, but its body was solid enough to hurt when it struck. To prove the point, it slashed its tail around at Crethen as the man was standing up and trying to reach for a weapon, and it caught him squarely in the belly, knocking him backwards several feet before he hit the ground again, sliding over the rough surface. Mirella had been underneath the strike then, so she made her climb back to her feet more strategically, waiting for it to bring the tail back and around, and it popped it against the ground just to the side of Mirella's quick roll, and the woman was back up then, drawing her sword in one smooth motion. The tail came around, but she was too far in by that point, preventing the quick strike from hitting her, even though the creature's slower midsection was coming fast enough. With grace, she slid under it, letting the mud of the bank carry her as the momentum brought her under the attack and back on the other side. Once up, her sword was in motion, slicing hungrily the creature's exposed middle. The sword sliced through easily, well, too easily, spraying water around violently but doing nothing to its form. Crethen was up already, lobbing arrows into it one after another. No matter where he aimed, it didn't work. Face, body, tail, eyes, it didn't matter. The dragon-like face just swallowed the arrows into itself. But when it struck, it was whole. Sprocket! Crethen yelled out. We could use some help! The gnome was beneath the console at that moment, saying, Just a minute, I think I figured it out. 
Really a simple mistake, just a couple of switch wires. I bet Belseth did it. He makes mistakes, you know. It's almost like he's had no training in electronics at all. But that seems to be a theme, general neglect of skilled labor. But why would the whole system short because of that? Well, I'm almost ready for a test, hold on. Mirella was too close then, and the water snake went after her with a brutal lunge. The agile woman managed to sidestep most of the blow, but still caught part of it in her shoulder. She went down on a knee with the weight of the attack. That seemed to anger Gizmo, who had been in the building with Sprocket, and he came out, barking like a mad dog, but basically unable to do much. Crethen was coming in too, and the blow against Mirella only quickened him, and the thing came in with its tail again. It was quick for sure, but the blind man was too, and the blow hit nothing but dirt, splashing into the ground in a cascade of mud and water. It brought it back and then out again in a short jab, and this one hit his arm, but it only slowed him. The next strike would have to be harder, and it was, but Crethen was ready. With a spin, he shifted his momentum at the last moment to dodge the attack, but then he was on the offensive, and his steel connected, digging into the beast as through flesh. The snake recoiled at this, and water sprayed violently from the wound. It solidifies when it attacks, Crethen muttered to himself in realization, then repeated himself more loudly for Mirella to hear. She was already on her feet with her sword drawn. Crethen put away his bow expertly and drew his second sword. The thing was angry now, and it lashed out wildly and without strategy. The swipes were too hasty, too random for the two to counter. They ducked down and waited, but then they had their chance. The creature slammed its tail down, and Morella was nearby. With a skillful swipe, the tail came off, splashing down in a rain of water and the creature calling out in agony and rage. It dove at them headfirst now, snapping at Mirella with blinding speed. But Crethen was there too, and he buried his swords into the coming head. It recoiled again, water exploding from its body and drenching them in its shower. They watched as it writhed, panting for breath. That did it, Mirella said, watching as it was shedding its own form in a barrage of water around them. But Crethen wasn't convinced. The snake was thrashing yet, and there was a circular wave in its collapse. But as soon as it was down, the waters retracted and came together again, completing its original form, renewed and rather angry. Sprocket, Crethen said, we have to go. Turning it on now, Sprocket said, and there was a sudden lighting up of the lake as electricity danced over the surface of the water and up the form of the snake in pulsating flashes and arcs. The creature tensed at the blast, shaking as the volts coursed through it, and then the entire form collapsed into an outpouring of water that crashed onto the surface of the lake in a terrible roar. There was silence then, as they watched in awe at what was happening. Oh, Sprocket suddenly explained. That's the problem. I didn't connect the grounding wire. You two probably shouldn't get near the lake until I fix this. Eight. I'm so close here, Sprocket was saying, working hurriedly while they talked. His fingers moved nearly frantically over the wires, connectors, and a hundred small tools that Crethen didn't even know the names of. This is important. This needs to be completed. Crethen sighed. Sprocket, the vampire is gunning for us. It just sent a water elemental up here to finish us off. The gnome shook his head. If you wanted a swim, you should have just taken one. Can you be serious for once? Crethen said, sternly enough that Mirella put a hand on his shoulder. We have a vampire hunting us, and you're playing with plumbing. Crethen, 
she said, her hand firmly moving him away from the gnome. We're running out of time, the other said. We're running out of time, and he's playing around up here. He is fighting the vampire too, she said. He has never failed to be at your side when you have needed him. Where was he five minutes ago? Well, I was here, underneath this console, rewiring. It's a figure of speech, Sprocket, Mirella said, not moving her eyes away from Crethen. Her voice lowered again. Crethen, he's been at your side longer than me. He's proven himself a score times over. He deserves your trust today. He's earned it. Crethen lowered his head, again breathing deeply. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, Sprocket. For what? Sprocket said, already working on the wires again. Sprocket, seriously? Morella rolled her eyes. Crethen laughed at this, and the woman just shook her head, saying, Me, on the other hand, I don't know why I put up with either one of you. Sprocket started to explain it to her, but Crethen said, We definitely made it angry. It will make a move tonight, that's for sure. We need to be a step ahead of it. Sprocket, that means we need to go. The gnome huffed. Okay, I'll send Belsith to come finish it up before sundown. Should we search the houses tonight then? Mirella asked. Yes, but it puts us at risk. If we find it, it will not be helpless. Sprocket was wiping off his hands. Why are you doing a house-by-house search when the vampire can move between houses nearly instantaneously? Crethen stopped suddenly at the words, his frown pronounced. Sprocket didn't notice for a second, but eventually felt the blind man's attention on him and turned around. What did you say? Crethen asked him. Hi, I'm Tom Kranz, host of the Independent Author Podcast. As the title suggests, I'm an independent author who's written five books, one nonfiction, and four novels. The novels have also become audiobooks. I know there are thousands of us out there writing and publishing all kinds of books. Those of you who have agents, editors, and publishers, congratulations. But for independent authors who self-publish, it can be very difficult to make sense of all the people who want your money, who claim to have the secret to getting more reviews, a nicer cover, more sales, more of everything. I don't have any of those answers, and I don't think most of those people do either. But I do have my own experiences, and I'm happy to share them with you on my podcast, along with those of a couple other authors who've been through the same gauntlet. Creating a self-published book is all about a passion for writing and an unwillingness to wait for the approval of the mainstream publishing industry. As for becoming successful, I think it has a lot more to do with luck than it does with any snake oil solutions available on the internet. So I hope you'll subscribe to The Independent Author, available on pretty much every podcast venue. And if you'd like to offer a subject for a podcast or yourself as a guest, drop me a line through my website, tomkranzbooks.com. That's T-O-M-K-R-A-N-Z books.com. Good luck and thanks for listening. Nine. Thirty minutes later, they were walking into town, a plan emerging between them, and there was a growing excitement spreading over the three as they were realizing that it just might work. The whole trip down the hill had been like that, enthusiastic and hopeful, emotions that were in short supply in recent times. They had a real shot at this, and it would be their last shot. Whatever happened with Fortosio, it would happen tonight. There was no getting around it. The end had come.
The exuberance faded quickly, though, as they came into the town square and saw no fewer than thirty men lined up, forming a semicircle beside the fountain. The line wasn't overly formal, but it was formal enough to be obviously intentional. At first, they wondered if this was some ceremony they had stumbled into, but the men were looking at them. They had clearly been waiting on those three to come down, and now they had, and there was an awkward silence between them as Crethen's throat went dry. The three stopped several yards away, waiting. In truth, they were wondering what to do. If these men wanted to fight, there wasn't much they could do about it. If they wanted to run them out of town, there wasn't anywhere they could go. They would be easy prey for the vampire, a vampire who would be undoubtedly searching for them particularly. It was Odwin who stepped forward from the group first, a scowl on his face. He had one man by the scruff of the neck and pushed him forward. It is the man who had tried to attack Kreth in that morning. Fryn had been his name. Say it, the constable said, and when the man grunted, he shook him and repeated himself, but much louder. I, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Crethen, Friend said. I'm, I'm sorry for trying to attack you. Crethen nodded. I forgive you, he said. Odwin let the man go, and he scurried back in the line, but it wasn't over then. The constable breathed heavily and looked over the three. Finally, he spoke. No hiding it now, friends, he said. You fought a vampire in the middle of town? People notice. A blind man works his way around the sword better than most mercenaries do. That causes some people to pay attention. You are trying to hide among us, and that's fine. But there's no hiding now. No one thinks of you as circus performers any longer. They know. Crethen again nodded. True enough. In the meanwhile, you've stirred up a hornet's nest. It's only right to acknowledge that the nest was here when you came, and that's not your fault. But you forced the vampire's hand, I think. I wish you had taken it out last night, but you didn't. You put in a hell of a fight, but you did not win. Yep. So that brings us to tonight. The people called me in over lunch to have a chat. They didn't much like the way we've been progressing. They thought we needed to take a different path. And we've made a decision. I understand. What did you decide? It was Jank who answered. We helped you kill a vampire, that's what. 10. They were crowded into the tavern then, with Odwin and the three up front by the fireplace. Odwin was the one speaking, saying, Well, you got its attention last night, and I don't think we have much time left. We agree, Mirella said. The constable continued. It thought we were helpless before. It was biding its time, waiting for one of us to slip up. Now it's going to move because it knows we're not. Do you know what it wants? Crethen nodded. It wants to go to better hunting grounds. It wants to go to a big city. Let it, said one of the townspeople. It's not a bad idea, Crethen shrugged. It would have more prey, but there would also be more resources to hunt it. And it would get all of you out of danger. But it can't make it alone. True enough, said Jank. It's more than a day's journey to the next real city. Vampire couldn't travel it in a single night. Which means it would end up sleeping in the carriage by the side of the road, helpless inside a coffin, Mirella said. Maybe no one finds it, but that's an awful chance for it to take. Unless somebody is steering the carriage, Jank finished, nodding vigorously. How does it plan to find the driver? Another man asked. 
It asked me to take it, Crethen said, with a hostage in the coffin with it. It's no fool. When I refused, it summoned a water elemental to attack us up on the mountain. There was a gasp and chattering about this for a while, but Mirella settled it down by saying, It has another option, though. It can enthrall someone. It might take time, but that is what I think it wants to do. That's why it hasn't been in a hurry until now. It was picking someone it could influence. There were mutterings of, Not me, all around the room, with not a few sideways glances at certain people who might not have been the best neighbors, but no one jumped up and confessed to be consorting with demons or anything. Who is this thing? One asked. The real question was obvious. Was this vampire once a valued member of the town? Someone they all knew? Odwin answered. Its name is Fortosio. In life, he had been an unfortunate traveler who arrived here in town the same night that the demon lord did. He had barely made it into town, looking for a place to rest. Probably only spoke to a couple people here before he died. But we staked all the bodies, someone said. The priest went red at this, but Crethen said. There was a lot of confusion that day and a lot of pain. In that pain and confusion, one body was missed. It doesn't matter now. It's done and we will deal with it. Wouldn't we have seen it when it dug its way out of the ground? Another person asked. And that's what we were looking for this morning, Odwin added. Then he shook his head, giving their results in a simple gesture. Crethen shrugged. I don't know how it got out of the graveyard without leaving disturbed earth, he admitted. We haven't figured out everything about it yet, but we've figured out enough. How do you see without any eyes? One man in the back yelled out, and there was a nervous chuckle at this, as everyone was thankful the question had been asked, since everyone else was too embarrassed to ask it. Crethen opened his mouth to tell them about the curse, but Mirella spoke first. He lost them fighting vampires, she said, her eyes on him as she spoke. He lost them trying to save a town from destruction. But he has been called to continue this fight, and so he does. It is a magic far greater than we understand, but one day there will be songs about the blind vampire hunter, and you will tell your children that you knew him, that you stood with him, fought beside him. The silence wasn't awkward anymore, but sweet to Crathen, and he bowed his head in thanks. Odwin stepped forward. So, do you have a plan? Yes, Crathen said. Well, let's hear it. Well, we thought of it before knowing how many people would be joining us, Crethen said, but Sprocket was already stepping forward. I've divided all of you into groups of four, balanced by size, strength, and speed. He enrolled a large piece of paper with a crude map of the city drawn on it. When did he do all of this? Mirella mouthed to Crethen. Crethen didn't question it, but said, It's important to stay on your route. We are searching through the vacant homes, but you are never to be alone, never down in the basements. Take a look and get out. If you see a coffin, you leave and tell us. We gather and go in only when we are all together. Does this town have any walkie-talkies? The gnome asked, looking around. There seemed to be general confusion about the term. Sprocket shook his head and muttered something under his breath. At the very back of the room, one of the men turned, expecting to see a boy there, but he wasn't. Well, a boy had been there before, but he must have left sometime earlier. And no one had seen exactly when he snuck out. 11. Wasson sat on the stoop of his home, afraid to go inside. He hadn't known what the meeting was for, but there was a crowd, so he went to check it out. Only he didn't understand most of what was being said. 
At least until the blind carnival performer had said the name Fortosio. How did they know that name? He hadn't let his undead servant out of the house for any reason at all. He knew the neighbors wouldn't approve. That sort of magic was dangerous, they would say. The undead aren't to be used like that, they would say. But, but Fortosio was so helpful. He took care of all of Wasson's chores and was teaching him to be a great magic user. The people, they just didn't understand how helpful this sort of magic was. They were so blinded by fear they didn't see how beneficial it all was. And speaking of that, why had the blind man killed his water pet? The boy wasn't at the lake at the time, but he had been able to see through its eyes, and that blind guy was really mad at it. But, but why? Fortosio said it was going to be used to help people at the well. It would be so useful to everyone. That well was so old and difficult to use, especially for a child like Wasson. It hurt his arms to pull the bucket. Getting water from the stream was easier, but then he had to carry it a lot farther and uphill at that. The water pet would have been so great. And that guy and his girlfriend had ruined everything. What a waste. He was starting to cry, but he stopped himself, wiping away the tears with the sleeve of his shirt. This was so dumb. They, they destroyed his water pet, and now they were going to come and take away his ghoul housekeeper. That's what the meeting was for, right? They were going to come and kill it. But some other things they had said were starting to sink in. And some of the more recent events... He hadn't really put his mind to it before, but why were they sleeping in the church? Ma had said it was a monster in the forest, but what did that mean? That had started not too long after Fortosio had been summoned. Were the two events related? He had heard some other kids talking about a dead body a few days ago, and it was weird and white and all stiff. He felt as though there was something happening that he should understand, but he didn't. As though the understanding was evading him somehow. But despite that, the realization was beginning to dawn on him, and he said, ever so softly, Vampire. He shook it off. The connections in his mind were being undone, as though by magic. No, he hadn't summoned a vampire. Very distinctly, he had summoned a ghoul to help him with chores. If it had been a vampire, it would have killed him and his family by now. That's what vampires did. They killed people and drank their blood. He had remembered the scene a year ago. He had been younger then, but he remembered it very clearly. That is what vampires did, not sweep the floor. He stood. He still had some work to do. Fortosio had wanted three buckets of stones for the next spell. He walked away, leaving behind everything he had been thinking about. But just inside the door, hidden from the sunlight, Fortosio was standing, watching, but unseen. The boy was becoming a liability, he knew. He was so close to being fully enthralled, but he could still be shaken out of the spell. But it was realizing that if Wasson began to extract himself, Fortosio would have to kill him. The mother and the other boy, too. Rob, that was his name. Probably Rob first. That one knew too much, even though Fortosio didn't quite understand how. Please join us next week for more of The Hallowing of Ground. The Hallowing of Ground was written and read by me, Paul Lytle. Copyright 2019. 
All music in the episode was composed by me and performed by the Techno Funk Boy. You can find links to my Discord server and Patreon in the episode description. Paul Lytle's Perilous Realms is a Play Well Network podcast. <laughs>